I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. The Transformation Leaders Hub is going from strength to strength, and I'm delighted to welcome another member on today's podcast. Bob Gerard has extensive experience of driving change and transformation in many organisations across many sectors. So I'm sure you'll enjoy the stories he'll share with us today. So let me introduce you to him now. Hi, Bob. Uh, thanks for joining us today. It's, uh, Hello, Tony. Great to have you on board. Um, we, we always start these podcasts with a little bit of your backstory uh, so that we can get the context of your experience. So do you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about what you've been up to, your career-wise, and, and I suppose how you got into change and transformation in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good afternoon, Tony, and thanks for the opportunity to speak. Um, so I, 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 I'll, let's go right back to the start of life. I, um, I actually left home at 15 and joined the Royal Navy and um, did 15 years in the Royal Navy as, as what they said in those days, boy and man, yes. um, and finished up as um, head of the department working on the ships, um, computer systems, communication systems, and um, radar systems. And then um, got to an age where my children were sort of grown up taller than their mum. And we needed perhaps a little bit of discipline at home. So I left the Royal Navy and, and started my civilian career, um, which was which was great because I had the um, uh, experience of being in the armed services, uh, the discipline that comes with that. If you say you're going to be somewhere at nine o'clock, you're there at nine o'clock and everything else. And a lot of the, um, the, the, the companies like that. So I, I started working for a company um, called Plexus, which um, used to do um, Unix systems and support. But then they moved into document image processing. And uh, Plexus were the first company to bring binary large object technology to the marketplace, which, in other words, meant that if you could possibly convert it into ones and zeros, you could store it on a disk. So they moved away from the Unix piece into um, uh, document processing. Uh, a lot of the staff was moved over to a new company, but I was retained to become the customer support manager um, for the company, and uh, and that's where I stayed. And on from that, I did a number of roles, permanent roles, um, customer support manager, technical support manager, um, project and program support management, pre-sales activity, all sorts of things. And I, I finished off my permanent career um, at Dell um, in the UK. So I started life there as the call center manager for the corporate segment in, um, in, in Bracknell. Transitioned that over to Ireland and I was retained then to become the technical support manager for the UK. And um, I introduced a new um, role to the company. It was a technical account manager. So that was a team of um, 15, 16 people that I had that I put out into businesses, so corporate businesses, where they would build a relationship with the technical people. Uh, the idea being that if they could understand about new, new things, new requirements, they could go and speak to the sales girls and boys and, and, and get um, new product. And that worked really well. Uh, and then I moved on from that into um, the global segment um, as the head of service for that particular area. So for Europe, Middle East and Africa. Um, and uh, I had a, a dotted line into uh, counterparts in EMEA to make sure that our 
top 100 corporate companies globally, you know, had had um, good support from there. I guess I, I was I'd been there for five years, and I guess that um, my background in the Navy, where you're only ever somewhere for 18 months to perhaps two and a half years, sort of kicked in. I was getting itchy feet. I wanted a change of role. Uh, and, and so I decided to go contracting. And um, that first contract role that I had was with BAA at Heathrow. Right. So I was re responsible for all moves, ads, and changes to the network infrastructure in Heathrow. And um, that was going pretty well. And after three months, they asked me to take over the whole of the UK. So I ended up with 27 project managers across all of the airports and um, offices around the UK, and we were responsible for, for that. Um, and again, I got itchy feet after about three or four years. This is a contract role, three or four years. I, I got itchy feet, and I moved off to do um, other bits and pieces. Um, I've had some interesting roles, uh, one of which was with Virgin Galactic, where um, we were doing the sort of um, infrastructure, IT and infrastructure strategy for Virgin Galactic over in um, New Mexico. Uh, that was really, really good. We got to meet a lot of interesting people. Uh, and I think probably the most, most interesting conversation that I had was with one of the pilots um, who explained to me that his biggest concern was when they got into outer space and became weightless. And I was trying to wrap my brain to think why that could possibly be in my arena. And he said, uh, and the reason I'm concerned about this is because there is a wire mesh behind us. And if people go weightless, they can be ill, and there's nothing to stop them. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's that's very good, but I'm not quite sure how I can help you with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, lots lots of interesting roles around project management, program management. I guess the first real sort of transformational piece I came into was with a um, a rail company um, who was bringing in a, a totally revamped online experience through um, website, mobile apps right. to uh, the customer base on a global basis. Um, and this is something very, very different to what they were already doing. Along with that, they were going to make changes to customer relationship management, the way that the company operated. So they had some ticket offices that were potentially going to be closed and they were going to move the staff out onto the station so they could mix them match with um with people there and that was that was a, a very inter interesting role um partly because um they hadn't really done in terms of their it equipment their uh digits on the as is right. so they're looking for people to come and deliver new um technology but they had no record of what the as is was so they couldn't tell you what systems spoke to each other where data sat and everything else the other sort of interesting piece with that was that um, for all intents and purposes, it was a business change, but the head of IT saw it as an IT-led change and had his own agenda. Um, so we got to the point, unfortunately, where I had to sit him down with um, the business and the, um, the MD of the company and ask the question directly, is this a business change or is this an IT change? Yeah. And the answer was, it is a business change. So, you know, the uh, we, we went back then to the, what I need from you is the, you know, the details in terms of what, what you require from an IT perspective, not the all singing, all dancing, 
gold-studded, diamond-plated, or gold-plated, sorry, diamond-studded tin that gives you what you want, but doesn't give the business what they want. So that was that was that was quite an interesting role, and that was the first um, transformational role, I guess, that um, I got into. Um, so just on that though, then mm. Bob um, leads me to the next question. Really, is um, the, the the fact that you said it was the first transformational role? How do you define transformation in that respect? So transformation. I mean, I've gone through change roles. Transformation for me is something that encompasses the whole of the business. You, know, you can you can do changes within a department that says instead of doing this you now need to do this and it doesn't have an impact outside of that department transformational to me are changes that are taking place across the whole of the business and mm. um, what i found from experience is that a lot of people tend to work in a siloed fashion so they have something that they need to deliver and they pretty much, it's like playing poker, they keep their cards to themselves, they don't share with everybody else what's happening. What I try to do is to encourage them to put that change into a language that the whole business understands. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because um, I've had held meetings with other heads of departments and um, <clears throat> I've been presenting on a change that a particular department is, is bringing in and the sort of response has been, well, why do I need to come to this? And I said, well, just humor me, come along, please, because I'd like to know if it impacts you. Well, I don't think it does. And then as you go through the change and you put it into everyday language that everybody understands, the penny drops. And then you get people in finance saying, well, hang about a minute. That means that we have to, and logistics say, well, we've got to, and operations say, well, we've got to. And you go, there we go. So... <laughs> This, this simple change isn't quite as simple as you thought. And now we need to have a look at what the impact is on area, other areas of the business and potentially what we need to do to with them. Yeah, and, and that's always a challenge, isn't it? it, it a mm. lot of times that's relatively simple exercise isn't, isn't done or, or, or is only partially done. And uh, I, I, you get 90% down the road and then you suddenly realise what well, you've not considered the impact upon... ABC function. Well, that's 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 very very true, and I did experience that. In uh, to be honest, I've probably experienced it everywhere I've gone um, with a company that, that, that's working in across all utilities. Well, the gas and electric utilities. Um, I was asked to come in as the operation operational readiness program manager, and there was this fantastic definition of what it was that was being delivered, which meant absolutely nothing to me. It, you might as well have written it in Martian. Um, I asked the other people what it meant. They couldn't say. So I sat down with the, the, the program and said, what I really need people in plain and simple English is what this change is bringing about. Yeah. And then, again, we realized that it wasn't just the uh, team sat on the desk taking support questions and, and, and issues, but it did again impact finance, logistics, um, customer relationship management, a, a whole bunch of people. And it was, you know, obviously a little bit worrying that that hadn't been considered initially. And I hasten to add that I was brought into, funnily enough, rescue a stalling program. That's <laughs> so, interesting though, isn't it? I, I find um, that's one of the big advantages of having an external person come in uh, because you don't come in with any preconceived ideas you don't you don't come in with um 
wanting to protect your future career prospects. So you can you can ask all what I call a Scottish term, all the numpty questions that you just won't you you wouldn't ask if you were trying to build a career in the organisation because they can sometimes come across as being too simplistic. But all the all every time I've done that, you get to the core of the issue really really quickly. Absolutely right. And and people that that, that know me and work with me know that Bob has what he calls his dumb questions. But when you look around the room, you realise that you're not the only one asking that question. The others just, but you're right, because you're a contractor, you haven't got to worry about career progression and things. Um, But you want to leave the business with the best possible outcomes. And in a sense, you, you, you make yourself redundant with the processes and things that you put in place to make all of that work. So I encourage, I say to them, I don't care how dumb you think your question is. I would rather you ask the question and we get the right answer than you not ask. And I might get a bit upset if you ask me four or five times the same question, but you know, if you, if you have to ask the question, ask it. You're absolutely right. I totally agree. Um, so, so your career then started off with a technical bias. Um, it did. Said, then then you, you, you ran operations. Um, and, and now you're in, 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 in the tra- sort of transformation and, and program space. Mm. Which do you prefer? It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I like being the person in the middle. Right. Um, I, am I an IT guru? Blimey, no. But I do know enough to know when the ball's being pulled over my eyes. Yeah. Um, so I like to sit in between the IT and the business. I'm, 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 I'm more a champion for the business. I'm making sure that IT um, delivers what the business requires, not the business having to buy into something that IT suggests. You know, those wonderful times when you go into transformation change or something and the business has already made a decision or IT has made a decision for the business in terms of the -the off-the-shelf package that they want um, without actually going through and doing any business analysis or anything to say, well, what is it that you really want? Um, Only to find that that off-the-shelf package then becomes a heavily bespoke package that you know costs an arm and a leg to maintain uh, and to have changes made to and ties you into that supplier forever and ever and ever absolutely. and um, that's what the suppliers want abs- absolutely right they're not going to sing and shout um i did catch one out i'll talk about that later um who made false commitments to a, a company um but that was another uh, whacking great transformational change that I, that I worked on but yes um i i, I think it's really really key um, but when you have these discussions at board level or wherever and you, you come with a strategy of what you're going to do, you engage everybody right at the outset, not partway down the line. I mean, it's, it's um, frustrating when you get to see the business case for something that's been done without proper due diligence and they'll come up with um, a, a, a program or a transformational change that they say is going to be delivered on 22nd of September 2022 and then when you take some time out and you sit down and go through it you think you haven't got a chance in <laughs> of delivering it by that time because you haven't done this 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 yeah um I mean I, and to be honest with you that probably leads me into this particular company I was talking about before it, it um it's it was a, another oil company um they had a number of committed obligations that they had to deliver. 
one of those was a um, a retail hub, which is going to totally revolutionize the way that customers bought their tickets. Again, this was something that was going to move online through your mobile phones um, and, and at kiosks. You know, humans um, tend to want to buy a ticket from a human because they don't trust machines. <laughs> so that was a, a, a very big challenge in, in terms of getting um, people to feel comfortable with going to machines. So that was something that, that I had to address. But in this particular role, um, I was the commercial program manager. So there were a number of committed obligations that the sponsor for commercial um, had to meet. And so I was brought in to, to, to work on those. And the, it was interesting because I recall sitting down with a sponsor and uh, I said to them, so, and again, I was brought in to replace somebody else, I, the person that was leaving. And um, after he left, I thought, thanks very much for that. I can see why you left now. Um, <laughs> I spoke to the sponsor and said, so where's all the funding for this? And the response was, well, if you can tell me, Bob, that would be great. I thought, oh, dear. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you go into a transformational um, program, you, you have a number of challenges. There's um, things like there's a lack of commitment to the change, unrealistic timescales, um, lack of support from management. Uh, you don't have the resources. You don't have the budget. Yeah. There's, there's no... Um, no communication or poor communication now that was really key in this particular one because um again one of the major changes that was, was going to take place was that um staff working in the ticket offices were going to be taken away from the ticket offices and put out into the foyers yeah. to walk around the customers and meet and everything else but the one thing that they sort of really failed to do was to communicate that well with the um, staff and a failure to engage the staff. Right. So I, I fixed that very quickly. What I found was the, the person that was in charge of, of, of that team of people um, was not happy with the change that was taking place. And you could understand because in part he hadn't been consulted um, or what he had been told wasn't sufficient for him yeah. to be able to grasp what it was that he needed to understand. And he was one of these people, unfortunately, that would take, um, or say in a thousand words, what he could have probably said in 20, but I had the patience to sit and listen to him and, and managed to win him round. But the biggest win for me from that was in the changes that we were making to the online and kiosk systems. As I say, people like to work with humans. So, you know, I wanted it to be as, as, close to working with as human as possible and the people that really knew that part of the business inside out were his staff yeah of course so i engaged with them and i had three or four people that would come to me um to the digital agency that we employed in london to create the mobile app um sorry the online app that we would yeah. then convert to the kiosk and the mobile phone and they were absolutely worth their weight in gold and the great news is that the product that we produced, um, we, we, we brought different people in with different personas. So we'd bring in um, business people that right. travel the line, um, students that would travel the line, older people that were retired that would travel the line, 
you know, a whole mix of people and we'd sit them down and, and we'd let them drive through yeah. clicking on the application. And without a single fault, every single one said that if we could produce a system on the kiosks and online like that, they would be more than happy to use it and not have to go to the office. And that was all down to engaging with those staff. Yeah. It was really they've good. Got real, they've got the real life experience of engaging with the... They with have. The they have. I mean, but the... So there, there were a great deal of challenges here. I mean, the, the budget was one thing. So this was, as I say, a, a number of committed obligations that had been put on them by the DFT. Um, and, you know, it, it, with all due respect, they'd done a, a form of due diligence. They'd gone out to various suppliers. The suppliers were saying, uh, yes, we can deliver this. Unfortunately, it wasn't until I started asking some questions that I found that, that the supplier that they had picked could not deliver. Right. Right. Um, and so the timescale that had been set by the DFT could not be met. So I had to go to the DFT and negotiate a derogation with them. And they obliged and gave us another 18 months on the program because that's how long we needed. Yeah. Because the particular, this particular piece, which was a key driver to the delivery program, wasn't there. Um, and so um, that, that worked. But there, there were other things that I got involved with um, as well, and again, uh, I used to present from my perspective to the board um, what the status of play of, of things were. And in that meeting, I discovered that there was another area of the business that were going to replace some kiosks out in the um, field. And I asked the question as to why they were going to be replaced, and they said, "Well, it's it's a committed obligation." And I said, "But you're going to be replacing those in 12 to 18 months' time with the new equipment." They said, "Yes." I said, so I'm assuming that you're not leasing these because it's short term. You're buying them. They said, yes. Said, so you're going to spend all of that money. What are you going to do in 12 to 18 months time when we start replacing them? They said, well, we hope to put them on. I said, well, do you think we shouldn't go back to the DFT and see if we can get a derogation on this? And they were really loath to do it because they were worried about um, yeah. rocking the boat. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got this franchise. We don't want to rock the boat, but it, it made sense to have the discussion. So I did go back to the DFT and um, had a conversation in a way where the DFT broached the subject and we came to an agreement that we didn't have to do those. But what that did was it gave me an insight into other areas of business and, again, how they didn't see what yeah. was going on, the communication, and how they didn't communicate with other programs that were going. So I very strongly encouraged a separate session where we got together and we just shared everything that we were doing. And that, again, was a real eye-opener. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, and, and, and the conversation there and the discussion there about DFT or third-party organisations, whether they are suppliers, whether they are regulators, um, the key is to bring everyone together um, mm. in, and, and talk openly and share things openly because... If you can get some consistency in um, objectives across the various um, uh, different parties, you're in a much better, a much stronger place to manage any issues that that, that come off. But all too often, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of work in the past in, with supply chain management, and, and all too often you set something up internally. With just with just a completely internal focus, not taking into account 
what the challenges will be, will exist within your supply chain, and then and then almost expect your supply chain partners or suppliers just to get on with it, and and yep. and, um, and 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 almost well we've got them under contract we're okay well you're not because if they can't deliver because you, your expectations are too high and 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 if you'd brought them in up front you would have understood that. And, and, and you would have been able to provide a much stronger timescales, then you know, if they don't deliver, it has an impact upon you and your ability to deliver to your customers. And Absolutely it, right. It's that silo thinking um, creates massive challenges, I think, with, within lots of organisations. No, say, you're, you're, you're absolutely a, right. I'm going to treat you as a supplier. And it's in these in these days, you can't. It's it's You've got to manage that end-to-end supply chain as true partners, in my opinion. I, I agree, and it's interesting because many uh, going back to when I was at Dell, I was involved in um, some some major contract negotiation. We had a hundred and sixty million dollar contract with um, uh, a, a large pharmaceutical company, and they'd employed a a New York lawyer um, to act on their behalf. And we were going through um, a set of documentation that, good God, it must have been about five inches thick. We spent four different whole weeks in various places around the world going through this. But this New York lawyer absolutely hated the fact that I was saying that this was a partnership. His view was, this is my customer, you are a supplier. And and I said, but, you know, it it has to be a partnership. And and you're right, that's what I expect from my suppliers. And and anybody that's working on the team, I, I, I look for total transparency. You know, if there is an issue, tell me now and let's deal with it together. Yeah. Don't hide it. Don't tell me, you know, not tell me about it because eventually I will find out yeah, and we'll take the necessary action. I mean, it, yeah. it, 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 it is funny. Um, and again, going back to BAA, I had a chappy that worked for me. He, he'd been with us for about three months, the project manager, and he'd done something. And um, I, I went over to him and I said, look, um, I just found out about this, you know, really you need to come and tell me when these things happen. But listen, this is what we're going to do to fix it. But the, the, the reason I'm telling you that was a couple of days later he came in and um, he had a T-shirt on. And on the back of it, it had Bob Knows Everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, interesting um, that, that, that um, it, you reminded me uh, talking about rail as well. Um, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, I, I got involved in a programme where... Um, it was for a um, manufacturing unit, a base, train manufacturing company, and um, uh, UK-based. Um, but they, as as most manufacturers do, they 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 buy in componentry, um, and one of the supply chain partners um, was an Italian organisation um, that were providing the toilet facilities for the carriages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, and um, so they they've got the contract in place for all the internals, who then subcontracted out the to- the toilets within those internals. So they were these were like second tier. The toilet componentry was second second tier, and the the manufacturing company that that did the uh, the, the it's almost like a plug and play piece of kit on the toilets. Um, the handles on the doors to the toilets. Um, they'd got another com- com- uh, another uh, company involved in, in producing those. Um, and so this third tier organisation 
had massive financial issues and, and went into administration. Oh dear. Um, yeah. Which then had a knock-on effect that they could the the, uh, the toilet manufacturers couldn't put the door on on, on the toilet componentry, but then could it deliver to the internal fit out for the carriages that then had a massive uh, knock-on effect for this uh, manufacturing UK manufacturing organisation that couldn't deliver the trains to the rail uh, um, train operating companies, um, and it delayed the trains by um, I think in the end it delayed them by best part of 12 months yep. because yep. no one thought about getting close to that third tier supplier mm. see whether or not they were um, financially viable um, mm. so li this literally this one handle component of this one handle that had been in integrated into the design that because that organization went bust it had this massive knock-on effect and, and and you see that time and time again. Not 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 maybe not to that extent, but you, you see elements of that all the time, don't but you? But it is, you know, the slight the, the, the smallest of changes to a program. Um, for example, I worked on uh, the building of T two, and I think it, it went around the most expensive door chain cost something like door change. So in other words, change this door. Yeah. Um, came to something like six hundred thousand pounds because of knock on effect of of, of doing it. But going back to what you're saying about the suppliers, again, this was um, with um, BAA. Uh, there was a massive program of works that we wanted to deliver. And um, I, I particularly had a preference for a company to deliver it. I'd, they were already working in the airports. They had airport experience, albeit in Scottish airports. Um, but I thought it'd be great to, to have some resilience in the southern airports by, by bringing this company in. But for whatever reason, the business decided that it wanted to go with a brand new company that had um, no experience in the airports, uh, whatever. Um, no idea why. Well, I do have an idea, but I'm not going to say. But um, they brought this company in, and within uh, – I, I, I expressed my reservations. That um, said, I had concerns, and, you know, gave, gave why. Within maybe two months, three months, they folded. Um, but fortunately, because I'd kept this – Scottish company in the loop yeah. we were able to recover that fairly quickly and they were down and they did an absolutely fantastic job but you're right you know you need to take these things into consideration and do your due diligence to make sure that these people can deliver um, but um, you know going back to this rail company they had as I say in all fairness done a, a good amount of due diligence and they had listened to this particular supplier who'd not only told them that they could deliver it, they told the DFT they could deliver it until I sat down and said, show me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, we, we, one of the things that we always look to cover here is um, the elements within a program that you think uh, or that you see as essential elements. So uh, of, uh, to ensure success. What, what, so, what in your yeah. For me, it, it is the buying and collaboration of the business. So I work very hard to understand, uh, to meet with all of the key stakeholders. I work very hard to understand what the impact is to the business, not just to this particular area. And then I make sure that we have the buying because, as, as I said earlier, not everybody is an advocate of, of change or whatever. And that's for, for various reasons. There are people that um, 
that you know, they think you know, it just doesn't impact me. There are those that think, oh, hang about a minute, that's now going to show um, what I do and don't do. Mm-hmm. There are others then, of course, that think, well, hang about a minute. Um, I do something now that can probably be done by a system. So if that's being done by a system, I no longer have a job. Well, that's yeah. not necessarily the case. It just means that it can go off. So what I try to do is to find out all of those little challenges and um, get absolutely everybody on side. And, and, and it works. And I know it works because at this particular rail company, the chappie that was in charge of the operational team um, when I said something to the managing director who who came to me and said, um, whatever you're doing with Fred, we'll call him, <laughs> carry on doing it because he's told me that for the first time he feels that this program is now going to be delivered. Um, so it is just winning the hearts and making sure that everybody's in there, but keeping them engaged, yeah. keeping the communication going and make, making sure that, um, you know, we've got good governance in place. We've got good <laughs> financial control in place um, and that was a challenge to me to get people to sign off to budgets and things mm-hmm. um, and then find out that my budget was being raided by other areas of the business um, so I had an interesting discussion with the FD over that um, so it's 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 really around for, for me getting open t- total transparency within the business within with, with the stakeholders within the business and with the suppliers making sure that we've got buy-in, making sure that, you know, people are happy to report those obstacles that are coming up and they're happy to ask the dumb questions. Yeah. And we make sure, continually make sure that we're going to deliver to the desired outcome. So we're going to realise those benefits and work to and, and, you know, enjoy those benefits in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of delivering change and transformation, um, it it can get very stressful for people, um, both those who are leading it and those that are um, 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 a recipient of that change. Mm. What, what, what do you do to alleviate your stress? Well, do, you I, not, do, you not, do you not feel to, it? To, I've, got a, I've got a high stress level. I'm one of those silly people that seems to thrive on stress. I see it as a, as a, a challenge. I don't know whether that's my military background upbringing or, 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 or what. Um, but... I, I, I do do things outside of that. Um, I played rugby for 33 years, finished off as the captain for the um, first 15 in the town that I live in, right. took them from Division 3 to Division 2, and then thought, now's a good time to retire because it's taking me longer than a week to recover, and it's <laughs> getting hard to explain those black eyes when I go out and meet with clients. So I did that for 33 years. Um, I've got two granddaughters that keep me very, very busy. Um, they're good fun. Um, I like doing active things. I, I like kayaking, um, bike riding. Um, I've got a son that lives in uh, Wales. So we go down and we do some co-steering, which is uh, really, really good fun. And as I say, um, silly things like doing backward somersaults of a 30-foot ledge. Um, I, don't know why, I don't know why the hell I do it. <laughs> but th- things like that. And I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have a, um, a nice big garden so I, I tend on a sunny day to be out, outside potting around in the garden. Um, and at the top of the garden, I've built my granddaughter's a, a play area. So they like going up in there and, um, and playing around. A lot of people that I ask that question to, the consistency, whether it's, um, whether it's going out walking, whether it's going out cycling or, or whatever, a lot of it is about just getting back into nature. 
and, oh, and absolutely and, and replenishing themselves through, yeah. through, through that nature and giving themselves time absolutely and you, and you can you know the reap the benefits of um of what you sow so with that well thank you very much um bob and uh, um, you know some great stories there uh, i always i always like to hear the stories it's it's the stories that make this um uh, really sort of different i think you know we can all talk about the theory but actually it's the real life stories that make the difference that's a that's a very very good point you know you have your cv and it has those things on but until you're given the opportunity to talk to somebody who can then show you the experience you know i have lived this i have done this i've experienced this you, you know you don't see it in the cv absolutely well thank you very much and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon definitely thanks tony take care stay oh, safe cheers, yeah, cheers. cheers. bye-bye as I said at the start, uh, Bob is a member of the Transformation Leaders Hub. And if you haven't already uh, checked it out um, and you're serious about your career in uh, programme, project, change and transformation, it's definitely a place to go in and take a look at. Um, a community of peers, um, all focused upon um, enhancing your reputation, uh, expanding your network and attracting the right opportunities to you to further your career. So go check it out and check us up on our trial offer. Equally, if you need support in delivering your change programs, TLH provides you with direct access to a large group of really experienced individuals. Irrespective of whether you need someone to join you permanently on a contract or provide some short-term consulting support, you will never have to pay any intermediary fees. A real game changer in my opinion. Find out more at www.thetransformationleadershub.com With that in mind, I look forward to meeting up with you in a couple of weeks' time with the next edition of the Inside Track Podcast. Bye for now.